0: As an audience, we, do we still distrust the the corporate or the entrepreneur, Sure. The, look the yeah, look
1: what's happening now. You look at all the people that's turning against Facebook and turning against Google and turning against all the Amazon. Like only in the last three years, there's this massive movement against all of these titans of like capitalism yeah. where they were, like Zuckerberg was hyper cool until three years ago. Sergey and Larry were hyper cool. Jeff Bezos was hyper cool. In the last two or three years, they're becoming vilified constantly.
0: Welcome to the Second in Command Podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command Podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. How are you doing, everybody? I'm Chris Free and Bennett. Welcome back to the Vancouver Film School Storyteller Studio Podcast one of my favorite guests to come into the studio. I've known Cameron Harold a very, very long time. Uh, Cameron is named a man of many names. He has been called the CEO whisperer. Uh, He is a speaker. He is an author. He's truly a storyteller. Um, As an author right now, in particular, he's got an incredible book called Free PR. And I want to talk Uh, a lot about this with Cameron today and the importance of narrative and storytelling in the way you drive your business and the way you, you really introduce your brand, whether it's a personal brand or a corporate brand. This is something for decades Cameron has been doing. He was uh, instrumental in building so many companies from 1-800-GOT-JUNK, College Pro Painters to some of the biggest corporate names and clients. Some of them you can't even talk about. Some of them you can talk about. Um, Cameron, you're an amazing guy. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Christopher. I appreciate it. How have you been? <clears throat> really well, man. Good. This this book, uh, I love this book. I, I'm I And when I say I you love too. this book, Free PR, I think any company, any human being who wants to understand how to tell their story needs to read this book. We're going to put a link to it in the podcast below so they can check it out. What prompted you to write this story? Because most people assume the opposite. PR is not free. It is costly. It's unknown. Trying to get your story out there is a really
1: difficult thing. This has been one I've been wanting to write for a long time. This is my fifth book, but this one had a bit of a twist to it now because I think more than ever, crafting your own personal brand is important mm-hmm. regardless of what role you're at in a company you know with with we've got the advent of social media in the last 12 years now having a personal brand and a personal story and kind of your origin story is really powerful yeah so I think free PR now is more more important than than ever for the individual as it was for the companies for a year where this book came from though was a guy named Vern Harnish Vern was the founder of the yeah. entrepreneurs organization I uh, runs a program called gazelles and scaling up. He told me 10 years ago, if I wrote this book, he would put me back on his stage. I wrote four other books and he keeps going. If you write the damn book, I'll put you on the stage. So I'm finally like, this was the one I'll get the book done. Yeah. Did did you find that over the,
0: I mean, a lot of these are really, you really go deep in this book and you, Mm -hmm. you, uh, case study them. Um, and this is like, I guess decades of experience having done this. This is
1: decades actually having written this book because this, yeah. this book first started a company called grasshopper.com mm-hmm. Um grasshopper.com sold for well over 150 million. And it was the founder, David Hauser was an entrepreneur's organization member, asked me if I would write the PR manual for him to bring public relations into his company. So I wrote a little manual, it's about 20 pages and he paid me to write it. And that became the first chapter of my first book that became a chapter of double, double. And then over the years, people wanted more information, wanted more information. And I started getting even more practiced at the art of it and it became the book. So it's been 10 years in the making.
0: And you've got some (coughs) stuff in here that I think is really critical for for a company uh, or or leaders of companies. You talked about origin story Mm. being critical. And, you know, at VFS, storytelling is foundational to all the stuff we do across every program. I, I say that a lot because we really... If it's not a good story, you're not going to watch it. Right. And yet so many companies don't have a
1: good origin story. They have one. They just don't know how to tell it. So you believe every company has one. Sure. Everyone started, right? Every company started somewhere. No one actually maybe wrote it down. No one told the story, but every company had a founder. That founder usually, it's kind of the hero's journey, right? It's the classic story. You would know that the, the model better than I would, but it's that classic kind of, um, they struggled with something. They, they kind of quit or started and then they went through this big journey and learned all the lessons. Yeah, overcoming all this adversity, right? Yeah. Every company has that. Vancouver Film School started, somebody decided to start this and they were doing something before. That's right. You know, every company can exist. Thomas, you know, Thomas Edison or Henry Ford or Richard Branson, they all were doing something and then they started a company. But they just, a lot of the people that we know, they decided to have a story. A lot of people just didn't.
0: Do you think, when you look at the industry right now from a public relations perspective, the way the media responds to stories that, that are pitched to them every day. What's your view? What's your perspective on the modern reporter or the, the, the modern journalist? Are they, are they lazy? Mm. Are they just too busy? Do they, do they need us to feed them these great stories? You, you've got a really interesting perspective on them in this book because they, without them, we can't close that final yeah. piece. And yet you're still saying at the core of all
1: these stories, you, you are the author, you the company. I almost said lazy as you were saying it, but I don't think that's the right word. I, I, I'd rather say they're busy. Mm-hmm. I think they're just busy. And, and they're looking for efficiency. They're looking for the path of least resistance. So if we can hand them a good story, they're more apt to, to think about it and consider that. You know, I always go back to grade 10 creative writing class in, in school. I forget what the, the English class was called. But teacher would say, you know, tell a story or write a story. you got 30 minutes. I'm like, about what? Like if it was write a story about a keyboard or a microphone, I could write a story. But I needed, I needed something. I needed an angle, something to talk about. So I think a lot of writers are just busy, and if we can give them a story, they might actually decide to tell that one
0: sure. do you find that the companies that you work with now, if they wrap their head around this, is it really um how much how much is free p r versus do it yourself p r because is there um if everyone has an origin story or everyone was was started somewhere there's that there's that story, but now how do you to, to create life beyond that one story over months, over years, you got to keep coming up with new ones.
1: Yeah. Can anyone do me, that? I'm going to go back to the first question about the, about the, the writers being lazy because there's a second part of that that I missed, which was I think the media outlets might be a little lazy. Media outlets just don't have the money they used to have. They don't have the money for mm-hmm. the investigative journalism. They, they can't afford to send the reporter out to find a story. So the media outlets are being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed to become more efficient and find stories cheaper. So that might be where the where I always thought that the reporters were lazy. It's probably more the media outlets are lazier. Now in, in terms of the story or finding new stories, I think every company has at least five core stories to start with. and then they have one story that can be played out in every single market they do business in. So I'll give you an example of five core stories that most companies have. You have your overcoming adversity story, you know where you struggled and you you failed, you made big mistakes. Um, You have your founder story or your origin story and how you started, right? You might have a story about your, um, your culture, what your company culture is like, or how you're leveraging technology could be a story. And then you have a story about your customer and how your product or your service changed your customer's life, right? How it, you cleaned out their home or you painted their house, or you did a video for them and, and how that your work was really powerful for your customer. If you can tell that story in Vancouver, You can tell that same story in Edmonton or Boston or San Francisco or Dallas or pick a city. So as you kind of expand your company, you can tell that same story city after city after city after city. I don't think it's often as much about finding the new story as it is about not getting bored with telling the same story.
0: And making sure that you identify all the different audiences that Mm -hmm. still have yet to hear that story.
1: That's the other one, right? Like, So if you're going to tell your culture story, let's say we're thinking about a classic business story. You've got Forbes magazine, Fortune magazine, Inc. magazine, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, CNN Money, um, you know EO Fire. Um, these all these podcasts or bloggers—they all have very different viewers, very different readers, very different listeners. So you have to kind of position or spin your story for that yeah. audience, and that's very different, right? Do you have an opinion
0: on if you look at if you look? Let's take a company like um, I'm just going to pull this out of thin Sephora. Sure. Okay. A makeup brand. Right? A brand that we <laughs> I we like, You've never about. been into one. I know. I'm here we go. I'm in the hallway. Help me. I'm, I'm already may, squirming, right? I'm like, what the hell am I, I doing? we may do this one again with a different <laughs> yeah. brand, but let's say you've got, you've got a, clearly you've got a, a, a target client, right? Uh, most likely women. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know if this me. will get me into trouble. Hashtag me too. <laughs> yeah. doesn't have to be. I want to just say it really right. doesn't have to be, but you, you're the, the idea of makeup. You, you, you're, 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 you know who your target customer is. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's important that the narrative or the story you're telling about your company?
1: Target that customer? Yeah. like yeah. I
0: think what I'm trying to ask is, are you trying to, is it more effective and is it better storytelling when your, 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 your origin or rather your, your, your story that you're telling through PR uh, lines up with your customer? Or is it
1: just important to be authentic and let your customer come to you? It's interesting. I, I think you want to tell your story in the most authentic way, but to the people that you want to be targeting. Yeah. Public relations has to really sync up with your with your marketing and with your sales. Yeah. Right? It has to sync up with all those strategically. So there's no point in telling your story and targeting a completely different audience. You know, for, for me as an example – I run an organization called the COO Alliance, yes. right? So I have the only network of its kind in the world for That's second right. command, very entrepreneurial companies, very
0: specific target, right? You so I'm going to tell two's. my origin
1: story. I'm going to talk about the entrepreneurial journey, right. right? Cause I'll speak to that audience. But if I was targeting more of a corporate audience, I might talk about some of the soft skills like situational leadership or conflict management or meeting rhythms or interviewing. I might talk more skill-based or mm-hmm. training or, or, or use some of their language. I, I can't even speak in that language because it's not my world. So I kind of tell my story and I I lean towards my my target audience, as I see. would the rest of my marketing and my sales.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. And and maybe a better example than Sephora would be like Nike. Sure. Where I think even though you might you might use LeBron or Serena or Venus Williams as your the your messenger, ultimately it's really clear in Nike. Uh, that they're 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 using them, but they're talking to you. You see yourself in the struggle, or the the triumph, or the the success of those moments in sport and athleticism through those people. And 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 Nike allows you to see yourself in their their in their in their communications and their their marketing certainly, but even in their PR, it, it you know the way they wrap themselves around the call Colin Kaepernick.
1: Yeah, they want they want the customer to see themselves in the story. Yeah. Right? So they have to speak in the feeling, like to evoke the feeling of that, that person. That's right. right, And that's why in my origin story, I talk about this entrepreneurial journey. It speaks to the entrepreneur. Do you find that most of your
0: clients and most of the companies you work with, they understand this and they can embrace it? Why, why do we still only have, like, let's use a movie like The Founder. Three years ago, it came out. Uh, that's Jeremy, the Ray
1: Kroc movie. That's right.
0: right okay. The McDonald's yeah. story, right? Yeah. Um, trivia for you. Uh, Jeremy Renner. Hawkeye from the Avengers movies is a producer on that film. There you go. A little, little bit of trivia for you there. Um, you know, small budget, about $10 million, goes on to do about 50, 60 at the box office. Not a bad return. Critically acclaimed. This is the story of McDonald's. Yeah. Um, warts and all, you've got Michael Keaton playing Ray Kroc. Yeah. Um, there are a bunch of other little, com- you know, movies along the way over the last few decades, but there's not a ton. Why, why... And yet that was a really successful film. People really liked it. Like there can be uh, an interesting story in how a company does it. Why don't more companies do things like that?
1: I think the, well, partially the, the entrepreneurial journey and success story and the entrepreneurs being the hero mm-hmm. has only been popular for 20 years. That only started in 1998. If you go back prior to 1998, mm-hmm. the 98, 99, 2000 was the rise of the first dot-com explosion, right? That's when entrepreneurship became cool. Then it fell hard, 2000, 2001, when the rise up to 2008 again, that's when it all of a sudden became super cool. But when I was growing up, being an entrepreneur was not cool at all. We were vilified, we were capitalists, we were greedy, we were profit-centric. Even my family didn't like what we did. Right, my other sides of our ancestors. Isn't that interesting? That so the only book prior the to the archetype was a negative one. It was a negative one. So there was no real story. There was no narrative for the entrepreneur being cool or a hero. You think back to what's the classic movie from like the forties, like the Big Titan of of um, the newspaper magnet. Um, God, it was like a huge movie. Anyway, it's it's he builds like the big castle, and it's like the fall of his his whole empire. Uses greedy, profit-centric. can't come up with the name of the movie off the top of my head, but it's a true Although, on a true story. W- yeah,
0: and what you're describing right now would would not be indifferent to HBO's succession. Fast forward you know, 60 years later. Yeah. And that story is
1: truly captivating. Well, the only book that ever had the capitalist as the hero was Anne Rand's Atlas Shrugged. That was really the right. only story where the capitalist was the hero. Right? And then other than that, it never really existed. Do do we as an audience?
0: We, do we still distrust the, the corporate or the entrepreneur, sure, the, look the CEO? Yeah, look
1: what's happening now. You look at all the people that's turning against Facebook and turning against Google and turning against all the Amazon. Like only in the last three years, there's this massive movement against all of these titans of like capitalism yeah. where they were like Zuckerberg was hyper cool until three years ago. Sergey and Larry were hyper cool. Jeff Bezos was hyper cool in the last two or three years. They're becoming vilified constantly. I well, wonder that's, if uh, that's the network, new, strange Aaron Sorkin's twist. the network,
0: you saw that one yeah. a few years back. Do you think telling, there's another example, did that make it worse for Facebook or better? This is a, there's a perfect of example the, of telling
1: the story. I think some of the greed that's been coming out in some of the stories and some of the movies has started to make people turn against it. I think if they talked more about the struggle, sure. if they talked the story about how hard it was for Jeff Bezos to get to the night before he became this overnight success mm-hmm. or how hard Larry and Sergey have worked. but. They don't tell that stuff. Now it's all about, you know, the how big they all are. Did you see the uh, Inside
0: Bill's Brain on Netflix? It's fantastic. Wow. Right? But you and I both know uh, at a certain point exactly what you just said. Bill Gates was vilipo- vilified. Sure. There was sure. a antitrust you know, decade of, of, of Microsoft being not popular. He, he
1: was a really interesting kind of um, specimen on, on PR because he had a really good PR machine that kept a lot of that stuff in the background. Mm-hmm. We never heard that he was a bit of a jerk. You know, he was always driving around his Porsche speeding. I used to joke about the yeah. story when he and Paul Allen would race to SeaTac Airport and they wanted to see who could leave the office um, with the least amount of time before their flight. And Bill Gates won in 28 minutes because he drove his Porsche up, tossed his keys to a valet and said, keep it, sell it or park it. Is that a true story? It's a true story. Oh my God. Because prior to that, Paul Allen had done it in 29 minutes and was able to do <laughs> the, the one minute run to the gate. Really? Yeah, yeah. So Bill Gates won by just literally giving a guy a Porsche.
0: Oh, that, if that's or, true. That's an amazing story. That's an amazing story. Yeah. And But that that three, if you haven't seen it on Netflix, you have to watch it. It's called Inside Bill's Brain. It, it's a, it, it looks at sort of Bill Gates day and then how he mm-hmm. got there. And to your point, the entrepreneur, warts and all, it was really compelling stuff. It, it lends itself to great PR, to great storytelling. And I think you're totally right. There's got to be um, more founders that have, uh, I don't, uh, you would agree, no, no entrepreneur has not faced adversity.
1: It's, no, everyone. It's, you think about it, just pick any city and then pick any company that exists. All of those would have a fascinating tale, right? There's an amazing story about every single entrepreneur in the city and most of them go untold. Mostly because the entrepreneurs are still starving for praise you know i think at the end of the day we're all 16 year olds trapped in adult bodies and every entrepreneur doesn't think they're doing good enough they're still struggling they're still trying they're still working and they don't think they have anything to tell because they wake up in the morning still trying to figure out how to do it right where they don't even recognize that that is a story right their employees would be way more apt to, to drive the business if they understood the hardships If they understood what you know the journey was to get us to today
0: one of the big success stories you have in pr in your career um, and you go back uh, almost almost two decades is there's a moment where um, you dream about what would it be like if we could we could get this company talking to oprah hmm. and and that moment of actualization happens and tada you pitch oprah oprah here's a story and there we go and the simple takeaway f- from that is you got to dream it first. You got to, you, you got to want it. And, and sure enough, the story was compelling
1: and there it was. And you make it seem so easy. That's a little easier than the actual path. Like it was, yeah. it was a little bit of the conceive, believe and achieve. I'll give you a funny story though yeah. as well. Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right. I wrote another book, but this book isn't just another book for me. It's actually for you the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The Second in Command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them, and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The second command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays. Discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. My story on PR goes back to 1986. My first press coverage was 33 years ago, mm-hmm. and the journalist, Tom Hewlett, just added me the other day on LinkedIn, and I was like, whoa, I know that name. From that long ago? That was 1986. Oh, I, was with, I was running College Pro Painters in Sudbury, Ontario, Canada, and he covered me in the Sudbury Star, and, it, and I remember getting the article going, this is so cool. And I showed all my potential customers, and they all thought I was like so important. And meanwhile, I just knew I was this guy who he'd seen me and asked if he could write a story. But that, for me, showed me that PR was doable for anybody. Um, so then I fast forward to 2002, and we were standing, Brian, the founder of one Thunder got junk he and I were standing in the lobby at one Thunder got junk and we wanted to dream about what could be really big for the company. And I said, how about our logo on the side of the space shuttle? And he said, that's in, that's insane. Like, that could never happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm like, why not? We could have like, you know, we, we'd be up in space. We could be hauling away space junk. It could be sponsored by 1-800-GOT-JUNK. He's like, that's stupid. And I'm like, well, what do you got? Like, it's got to be really big, right? We'd already said, go from 20 to 100 franchisees. We had 20 franchisees. And we said, let's go for 100, which was ludicrous. He goes, how about, could you imagine being on Oprah? And I'm like, that's as dumb as being on the space shuttle. And Brian described the episode And what it would be like and how we would have this woman who was a pack rat and we'd be cleaning up her home. And he described the episode standing in the lobby of the junction to me. And I was shaking. I'm like, wow. I mean, it's It's insane. It's so vivid. It's insane. Yeah. But it's so vivid that I'm like, let's put that on the wall. So we put being featured on Oprah on the wall. And about 16 months later, it took us about 16 months to get it though. We would call Oprah. I think you were either a part of the PR team at the time or you were in coaching with us at the time. but. We would call them, we would pitch them, we would send them letters, we sent them gifts, we'd ask for introductions, and we got shut down constantly. Oprah came walking in one day with the newspaper, the USA Today, with an article about 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and said, have we heard of these guys? I think we should do a story with them. And the whole team started laughing, saying, have we heard of them? They don't stop talking to us. So we'd been pitching them for so long, the USA Today learned about us from a Fortune Magazine article that Justin Martin had written, and the Fortune article was from a guy who read about us in Bloomberg. So we kind of laddered up oh, the media yeah. and all I the think, way to Oprah.
0: I love that story. And I think if I was to rename the book, I would call this the audacity to pitch.
1: That's
0: <laughs> right? true. Because there, there, there is a real, what you just described right from when Brian visualized it and describes it to you, is it's no different than someone you know, writing a screenplay, well, writing their first script and trying like pitching that to an executive over and over. There's so many things I think that people, even in the film and television industry, need to understand about not just conceiving the story, but hitching
1: it. Well, so you That's were everything. you were with us when we had yeah. the audacity to pitch. And you remember I the remember. day when we came up with a hit list of 20 of the top 20 PR outlets that we wanted to get. I do. And the, we, we put a bonus in place. For each one, you'd get 200. The next you get 300. The next right. you get 400. And you guys, I think there was a team of three or four, pooled all your bonuses together. And you split it up and divided and conquered. We landed 19 of the top 20 media outlets. And do you remember the only one we didn't get? Remember who it was? It was, it was, David, it was David Letterman. It was that Letterman. Was, you wasn't guys had it? Bud right. Melman right. was going to go do a ride along in the truck. That's that right. was the only. But we were in
0: conversation 20. with them. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: And that's right. But that that's was right. the audacity to pitch. Like we actually picked up the phone and called all these people, and they were willing to to listen. And most people would never pick up the phone and do that story.
0: I look at um, there's a series on National Geographic right now. Or actually, sadly, it's been canceled. Or they didn't pick it up for a third season. It's called Mars. But there, within the, the fictional story of this future uh, group colonizing Mars, you have the story of SpaceX. Mm. You have Elon Musk mm-hmm. um, weaving the real narrative of what's happening right now today uh, juxtaposed over this idea of in the future where it could go. And sure. it, it's, it's this beautiful uh, narrative where it makes you go, wow, SpaceX is incredible. Um, you look at things like Undercover Boss. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to give credence to that other reality show with that other guy, you know, from many years ago where a bunch, you know, people compete to, to represent, I'm just not going to give them (laughs) airtime. but there's so much right now, television where we are breaking into the work environment, into the company. Do you think that's the future, whether it's reality or it's documentaries, like some of it, um. Even though the founder is is a fictional account of a real thing that happened for McDonald's, there is something really magnificent and raw about uh, if you were to look inside a company and see it. And do you think that if you were to do a reality show on on just about any company, there is real drama and interest in
1: there? Oh, there's a lot of drama and interest there for sure. And So it's interesting you bring up SpaceX. So I've known Elon since 1995. I was a reference for him in his first round of funding with Zip2 when he had one employee. It was Kimball Musk who used to work for me. And Elon Musk, and they had one employee, and I was a reference, and we had to back them wow. using College Pro Painters experience for their first <laughs> round of funding. Oh, my God. Kimball, I don't know if you knew this story. I d- but I, don't, I didn't know. Kimble, this. So Kimball called me that night, and he said, I don't know what you just told Kleiner Perkins. It was only Kleiner at the time. It wasn't even Kleiner Perkins. He said, we only asked for 600000 in funding, and they gave us $3 million. And I didn't understand the internet because I didn't have an email address back in 1995. And I was having to explain why to back a company that was going to be on the internet. I didn't know what the internet was. But Elon's ability to tell a story for what they were doing, to to craft a story and explain that story to the media Mm -hmm. is one of the core reasons he's been successful. He did it with PayPal, he did it with SpaceX, he's done it with Hyperloop. He has an ability to craft a story and energize people and the media will tell that story and then it attracts money, it attracts people, it attracts employees can a company that's an amazing story i didn't
0: know that about Elon. elon that that uh, you knew him and his I'm,
1: cousin who worked who built solar city worked for me in 93 as well
0: that's incredible in he's reef. he's really an archetype that i think a lot of ceos or business leaders should really look at and mm-hmm. yet here on that vein he's had some negative stuff yeah. um and i don't think by choice although he does project a i don't care to it do you think that <clears throat> PR has to be good for it to be effective. Like if you were to, most companies don't want you to see where the mistakes have been. And I think um, there, there can be some success in trying to tell your story if you're not afraid to really be revelatory about everything happening in your company. But we hold back. We only want to tell the success. We only want to say when we overcame. The failures and the mistakes are... Are they less impressive to the media? Should a company, is there such thing as bad PR, Cameron?
1: I think there's bad PR, but I think you're going to get it. So you may as well just kind of work around it. You know, some of Elon's bad PR was self-made. You know, he, I sent a text message to his brother Kimball right after the Joe Rogan podcast went live and I said, you need to pull him off the grid. He's losing it right now. He's really tired. He's exhausted. He's saying he's sad. Like, And he's been pulled out of the media for the last 10 months. And I think what happened mm-hmm. was he just was on tilt. You know, he was sleeping on a tent in the parking lot. You, really? You, yeah, yeah. he was he oh, was no. on tilt. He was on the on the roof in one building and the tent in the parking lot in another. And he wasn't getting any sleep. He was living on friends' couches. He was literally, this was only a year ago. He was just on a bit of the lunatic fringe and you need to pull people out. So he was just making mistakes and he was saying things that he shouldn't have said. Same thing with Chip Wilson. Chip, you know, Lululemon, he's an amazing person. I know him really well. He's a really, really nice guy. But when he hit
0: some speed bumps, he just well, he just said
1: stuff. Like most entrepreneurs, think that they can just think out loud and say what they feel. But at some point, you get to be so big that maybe you can't. I think maybe we need to cut them a little bit of slack too, right? They're humans. What
0: about WeWork? This one is the biggest story right now Mm -hmm. going, and an example of a company that had an extraordinary valuation.
1: Well, and somebody we both know. Yeah, we both
0: know a guy who's coming to help save them and, and. I wouldn't say turn them around, but save them. Hopefully. Stop the bleeding, yeah. which he, uh, you, know, you and I both know he's very good at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and at the same time, I think because of this, there's a whole group of people who have now been exposed to WeWork who had not been to their narrative, to their story. And if for a public company, that can be a good thing.
1: No? Yeah, good. there's definitely a lot of people that are hearing about it. I mean, outside of the, the dot-com or the kind of tech community. A lot of people didn't know who we work was, and they've gotten a ton of free press over that, for sure.
0: I think what I'm getting at is I think there could be a vein of PR that uh, any company could go to after something rough has happened, something negative, whatever it is. And telling that story. And saying, we're, we're prepared to let you in and, and walk you through how it happened and what we've learned from sure. it. Um, there'd be a ton of press that would go, we would love to do that. I do it
1: personally all the time. Yeah, I know you do. Because I've just chosen to just not give a shit anymore. And the only time I've, I've actually been pulled back a little bit, my dad said, you know, there's a couple things you've said that U.S. customs might really not love. And I'm like, <laughs> good point. Right. Right. So I don't have to necessarily talk about everything, but I'll talk about my fears, my, my insecurities, my vulnerabilities, a painful divorce that I went through, struggles with business stuff because it's real. Yeah. And all of a sudden people go, oh, you actually are a human. I'm like, yeah, like I fucking struggle too.
0: And you've got a, you've got a podcast, and I want to mention that too. Mm-hmm. And it's got a, a, a very specific lean on it. Um, what, how do you keep it interesting? And the story of the stories you're telling and the interviews you're doing. Sure.
1: What's your? How do you approach that? How do you? Yeah, try to so keep So my it? my podcast is called the Second in Command Podcast, and yeah. I only interview the second in command. So everyone's interviewing the CEO. Mm-hmm. I want the rest of the story. So the the example would be if we had a traditional family, husband and wife raising kids. You know, if I was to call your mom and say. How did you raise the five? You were five, right? You yeah, yeah they were five. How girls. did you raise the five kids? Your mom would have a very true story. Yes. And if I called your dad and say, <laughs> how did you raise the kids? He would have a very true story. Yes, you They're would. They're both married. They're still together. Yeah. They would have very different true stories. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Both valid. Mm-hmm. Well, no one's getting the rest of the story. So the Second in Command podcast is to get the rest of the story. You know, we've all heard... Um, Brian at one 800 got Junk story of how we built 1-800-GOT-JUNK, yep. but what about my story when I was COO or Eric Church's story, the COO?
0: Yes. Right? Yeah, right on. Well yeah. said.
1: So that's what I'm doing, is going after all of those second commands.
0: Does it, in your, for somebody who, so another vein there could be, is is there a real avenue of PR possibility and potential for a company to not necessarily tell their narrative, but to be a platform for other narratives? Like, um... What you've done really well in creating your your brand and your COO alliance is by being a platform for other number have, twos really effectively. I that think was really smart. Is I that think a,
1: actually a platform for some companies to actually go kind of like reality TV? Yeah, but really to show the employees as well, and not just like the VPs and C level, but what about like the payroll clerk story? Or what about the the mailroom story? Or what about the? There's a really fascinating book from um, about 25 years ago, and it was called "The Nudist on the Late Shift," and it was um, it was a look at all of the different roles that were played in a technology company. Yeah. True stories, mm-hmm. um, and the reason it was called the nudist. <laughs> I got to tell the story now. <laughs> yeah, 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 So the nudist on the late shift was a programmer. He was a, he was a coder, and he would sit and code. And every day at at um, every day at seven o'clock, he would. Nobody else in the office except a couple of guys. He'd strip naked and he'd continue to code buck naked. Yeah. So one day he like was tired and hadn't had enough caffeine. He looked at his clock and it said 1700 hours. So he's like, I'll go get a quick coffee. And he strips naked and walks to the lunchroom to get a coffee and he realizes as he gets there and the women are still there that 1,700 <laughs> is only 5 p.m. So the nudist on the lake yeah, yeah. is this guy and that's a true story. Um, <laughs> so I think there'd be a really interesting story though to look at um, companies as a platform for all these other stories to really see how, how do companies actually grow? How do they succeed? How do they work together? How do they get through all these problems? What about all the politics? Um, you're, a, you're a voracious reader. I know you are. Um,
0: it's end of the year. Uh, any top... Uh, business books or leadership books or anything that are as on your nightstand you recommend anyone if you had to pick your your top couple of
1: the year who who do you, which books do you like the the two that I've been telling everyone to read now uh, the first one is is uh, Ben Horowitz's the hard thing about hard things um, and it is an insanely good look at kind of the war of business like really getting into the hard situations firing people and what mistakes you made when you had to fire them and to looking it's a really introspective leadership Wow, Um, Really powerful, powerful, introspective leadership book. And then the second one is insanely simple. And it's just a really good glimpse at Steve Jobs and Apple and how they were able to keep everything so simple. Mm -hmm. Like right down to their naming conventions and the the choice of wording and how everything just worked. um, Where you look at every other form of technology and it's confusing. Apple across the board is insanely
0: simple. Is your story, you know, on that vein too, Cameron, do you think that a book is, you've written many of them and you, you know, the ones of the companies that are are compelling and their great stories. They're usually because they're successful companies. Mm. Can a startup write a book? I mean, to your point, you said every company has a, has a, a an story. entrepreneurial startup or a founding. Yeah. And yet, do you need time to go by before Uh, A book is an interesting way
1: to tell the story. Yeah. Well, I'm actually on the board and an advisor to a company called Scribe and they actually help businesses and and owners tell stories. They help them write books. So Scribe, it used to be called Book in a Box. Mm -hmm. Uh, Founder is a guy named Tucker Max, who's one of only three or four people that had three simultaneous New York Times bestsellers. Really? Yeah. And how long have they been around? About three or four years now, four years. And they've got a book or several? They've helped us about five or 600 authors write their books. Three of my books were published by Scribe. Right. But I mean, did, did they have a book
0: about them?
1: Yes, they do. Actually, They do. Yeah. And it's called um, something in a box book. And it might be called book in a box or story in a box, something like that. Tucker wrote. That's it. interesting. Yeah. But what what I think is interesting, if you look at like every CEO has their story, right? They either have their, their struggles or their leadership lessons or um, how they built their culture and it just depends on who they wanna to, wanna to provide it to. Sometimes it's great for their customers to read, sometimes it's good for their suppliers to understand. Sometimes it's a rallying cry for their employees. Sometimes it's also just something they need to get out.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Actually, and we've got a really great You've one. You've got at, at volumes Film of School. books inside of you. Um of yours. Oh well I I mean our at VFS our our founder James Griffin No no I'm talking know? Christopher Bennett's stories. <laughs> no no. Yeah yeah you do. No I don't think so. But <laughs> I I've, I've I've been witness to some fascinating <laughs> stuff. But I think you're right there's um sometimes opening up the journal is really you know letting people in I think that's mm. a part of that. And you talk about this in the book too like it, there's an authenticity there there's no bullshit in this which I really like. It's mm. it's not just a catchphrase of it's free. There's there's a way of of making reporters want more there's a Mm -hmm. way of enticing them by just opening up the kimono and really showing them that really good stuff that i think people would take a lot from
1: you know what we learned about about free publicity recently that you and i didn't have the benefit of back when you know i left 1-800-GOT-JUNK 13 Mm -hmm. years ago now um facebook was just starting when i left the company yeah so we didn't have facebook or linkedin or twitter as a place to actually amplify the stories right so now i call it the digital trifecta so the trifecta is your. Your earned media. So that's all the press coverage that you generate for your company. That's your earned media. Yeah, Your owned media is your website, your Instagram channel, your Facebook channel, your LinkedIn channel, your Twitter channel, your Reddit feeds, whatever, Mm -hmm. that you can actually take the press coverage you've got and you can put it on those pages and channels. You can link it to your website. You can have it on your press page. The third part of the trifecta is your paid media. And that's when you can actually buy traffic to those stories that are on your Facebook pages. Imagine if if we could Oh, I know, right? When we were on Oprah, we couldn't even tell anybody. But imagine if we could have taken the Oprah episode, put it on Facebook and then bought thousands yeah, the, of dollars of traffic. Yeah, the amplification. Towards it. Oh, I know. Crazy. It is incredible. So that's the power of PR now. Isn't just getting the story, it's it's having it tied to your SEO, tied to all of your Facebook profiles and then amplifying it by driving traffic to it.
0: Does it matter where you tell your story? Is it do we in your opinion um, you know, can if, if you tell your story effectively on Facebook to a large audience? Does it matter if the New York Times ever picks it up?
1: Um, I guess it depends on who you want to see it. I believe in laddering up the media. So the more media coverage you get, the more that you'll get. But it depends on where your target audience is. You can also get coverage from the Vancouver Sun or the Chicago Tribune. And then you can drive everybody in New York. You can buy everybody in New York's traffic towards it if you want people in New York to see it. Yeah, You know, that's the power of those kind of uh, platforms now.
0: So many great films that have come out, even in the last five years, have been optioned from stories written in Vanity Fair or New York Times investigative pieces or mm-hmm. Boston Globe. Like we we see that there's a direct correlation to some someone pitched this thing and took that to the reporter, handed it to it, and that story that reporter gave life to that story, sure. and a whole bunch of great things can happen. And and you get into that, which I love. A um, couple other questions: Do you think that social media is ultimate? ultimately a platform to tell your stories, or do you think it's uh, a platform for your audience to retell your stories more effectively. Um, Is is that a myth that that can really happen effectively?
1: It's both. I think if you can tell your story there, that's one thing, but if you can amplify it by getting your audience and your friends to tell it and share it and comment it, that's where the amplification comes from. That's where you start putting gas on the fire. And there's an art to that. There's totally an art to that. That's where, where people like you are brilliant, is you can take kind of the rough and dirty message that the entrepreneurs or companies have, and you craft it in a way that it inspires. Right? I, I don't know how to do that.
0: We we talked about uh, uh, I had Frank Palmer in here uh, a while ago and we were talking about why why do political commercials suck when you compare them to traditional TV ads um, which there's good and bad but why do political ads within the U.S. or Canada just about know, they're always they're, they always seem a tear behind Do you agree with that yeah they're terrible yeah. what why of, of the there's never been a more important group I mean they're not that different from a company or a or a, a business leader why still have politicians of all people failed to understand storytelling and master that their their own
1: narrative? I think it's probably, my guess is that the, the advertising they're doing largely doesn't really matter. It's really about the coverage that they get, the stories that they get. It's about, can they, can they create a story? Can they create other coverage or other sound bites? I don't think it is necessarily about the And we don't believe the ads, right? We don't like. That's the thing about advertising. We don't believe any of the ads we see. But if they can get a story about something they've said, and then they can drive traffic towards that story, or if they can create a story and then drive traffic, that's where Cambridge Analytica. The whole story was amazing. I talked to Carol at uh, the main TED conference last year, just about how these, the manipulation of media is happening.
0: Fake news Mm -hmm. is that going to go away when the current White House occupant goes away, or is that going to kill? the idea of free pr because now we have this whole other thing that we
1: hadn't considered before which is is the story even true i know well that's i think this is actually just changed which is sad um and i'm trying to think of the dilbert who's this scott um scott adams wrote a book called think bigly or bigly and mm-hmm. it's all around basically lying that trump is doing or that he yeah and malcolm he's saying gladwell's new one is, is about it. the same thing is it it's scary it really mm-hmm. is kind of scary that that we're almost giving the okay to just make shit up. And then, then that's kind of becomes true. And that that scares the hell out of me.
0: It's a, it's a fascinating time. Um, Cameron, I love this book. I, I really strongly recommend anyone who loves storytelling and media and wants to do this better, pick it up. Um, where can they get it? Amazon? Can they go to your website? Where can I Amazon plug?
1: Audible iTunes? Yeah. And my main website, cameronherald.com as well. And are you the reader on Audible? I'm not on this one. No, I no. Who did you get? Who did you get for it? <laughs> I will come into studio and do it here properly. I don't even know who the. I just picked a really good voice, and they did a good job with it. But that's cool. Yeah, I, I looked into it, and it was two days of my time, and I just don't feel like I have. a <laughs> no, I think
0: it's great. Thank you. Um, the book is called Free PR, and Cameron Harold is the author. Uh, you are so great at what you do, and you really are a, a storyteller. Um, and on that note. You, you get the these amazing. Th- this is uh, how come I get various, red. You
1: get you get black, and I get
0: red. Well, the, the good news is, is it's a black and white podcast, so no one will really know. <laughs> it's like make, um, but I, th- I feel like Trump now. Yeah, no, no. Only if you bend the brim, Don't worry, you'll be okay. You'll <laughs> make be red okay.
1: hats wearable again, right? Yeah,
0: thank you. But um, you are, you really are a, a storyteller, <laughs> an amazing guy at that, and, and an expert on. It. So I, I really appreciate you doing the show. Thank you very much. Will you come back another time and talk to us? I'd love to. Uh, Cameron Harold, author of Free PR. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, buddy.